Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Man, well, hey, Lake Point family, it is so good to be joining in with you guys in the living rooms and patios, kitchens all over the country. And uh, hey, I just want to say, if you're new with us, uh, my name's Josh, and I'm the senior pastor of our church, and uh, we are incredibly honored um, that you're joining in with us right now. Hey, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I uh, need you to turn to two passages, two passages, okay, two, two passages. We're going to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and Jeremiah 32, Second Chronicles 7. Jeremiah 32, while you're turning there, um, we had something happen in the life of our church last week. We crossed a couple milestones that uh, we need to celebrate now. You guys gotta help me out here. Uh, I'm gonna give, again, two numbers, and you're not allowed to celebrate until the second number, okay? So two, two numbers for you. Number one, uh, many of you know that every week between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. at all of our locations every Sunday, um, we've been receiving food donations that we as a church have been distributing to children in the DFW area who are at risk of going without food because they depend on food programs that are currently shut down, okay? Well, a little mind-blowing. Last week, our church crossed the one million meals donated mark. That's right, that we're distributing uh, all throughout the DFW area. So that's pretty cool. But here's a number that like honestly is a little more heartwarming to me. So a couple of weeks ago at Easter, um, we mentioned that we had over 200 people that committed to baptism after giving their lives to Christ at Church Online. Well, last week, we just continue right now to see, we just feel like a, like a kite caught in a hurricane of grace is what we feel like. Last week, we saw another 60 people give their lives to Christ. That's right, man. Come on. Let's celebrate that. Celebrate at that in the chat right now. All of our platforms, Facebook, likes, hearts, comments. Let's celebrate that, guys. Um, and we just, we, guys, we just, we never want to get to the spot where people crossing a line of faith becomes normal to us. Like, man, that's a miracle, and we want to celebrate it like it's a miracle. So, man, we're just so proud of you. And if you're watching with us, and maybe you're new, let me just say, like, there's a miracle waiting for you. Yeah. And we believe that God is gonna do something in your life maybe in the next few minutes. So here's where we are. Uh, we're in week two of a series that we're just calling If Then, okay? A series called If Then. And here's what this comes from. It comes from a promise that God gives in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, And it's a promise that's based on an if and a then, okay? So, so let me quote the passage and you guys help me out in the chat. So get your fingers ready, okay? What God says is he says first, here's the first word. He says, if, can you guys say that with me? Say if, 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 drop it in the chat. If, 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 he says, if my people who are called by my name, and then he says three things, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And, and then there, there's the other word he says, then. Help me out, then, 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 drop it in the chat. Just right now, everybody, then, 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 then. Then he says, I will hear from heaven, I'll heal, I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And guys, that's uh, pertinent because we're in a season right now where we need God to heal our land. 
Um, and we don't just need physical healing. Man, I, I need you to hear this from me. We don't just need physical healing. What we need even more than that is, is we need a spiritual healing. Uh, we need a spiritual healing that goes down and changes who we are at the roots of our soul. And we believe that God has the power to do that within us. And in fact, what that passage says, is says, man, right now, everybody's talking about what they need God to do around us. And what I believe is that God is doing right now is, is he may be speaking to say, hey, I wanna do something within you. And actually, I might not change anything around you until you change something within you. And so we wanna do that, this, this uh, series, and look at those three things where God says, hey, if you'll do this, then, then you'll see my outstretched right hand. And so week one, we hit humble yourselves. This week, we're hitting a pray. Now, let me just kind of lead into it like this um, and, and kind of set, set this up real quick. So I heard a story about uh, two hunters that is, by the way, different from the story about two hunters that I told on Easter. Okay, it's a different story. Uh, about two hunters that were out and, and kind of doing their thing one day. And while they were hunting, one of the guys dropped to the ground, passed out, and uh, stopped breathing and his eyes glazed over. And so his buddy was like, kind of started freaking out, grabs his cell phone, calls 911, real urgent. He says, please help, uh, I think my buddy is dead. And so, you know, operator just says, hey, well, hey, let's calm down. Before we choose a course of action, let's make sure that he's dead first. And there was a long silence on the phone and then there was a gunshot that the operator heard. And after a long pause, the guy got back on the phone and he said, okay, now what? Do you see how that works? All right. Now, now listen, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. Okay? Now, listen, here's what I'm driving at is sometimes we like, we know just enough to be dangerous. You know, it's like, I know just enough about medical stuff to be dangerous. I know just enough about this or that to be dangerous. And what I want to say is sometimes we do that with, uh, with medical issues but more importantly, what I think happens is we do that with theology. A theology is just the study of God, who God is, the science of God. And what I think happens sometimes is we know just enough theology to actually be dangerous. And what I wanna do in, in, in this message, and by the way, I just wanna be very transparent. Almost nothing you're getting ready to hear is original to me. This is stuff that was downloaded to me by great Bible teachers who have influenced me. But there are two attributes of God that I think sometimes we know just enough about those attributes of God to, to get ourselves in trouble and be dangerous. So I wanna look at these two attributes of God that sometimes a misunderstanding about them leads us not to pray, when actually, if we understood them right, like they would actually lead us to pray. All right, now, here we go. Attribute number one, you're gonna need your Bibles a lot today. Attribute number one is the attribute of sovereignty. Sometimes it's just called the sovereignty of God. Now, you're gonna see the word sovereign appear on the screen underneath me, but I just want you to think about this. Sometimes we can see what a word means just by breaking it down. You're gonna see the word sovereign is just two words smashed into one. It's the word sov, which stands for supreme, and reign, sovereign, sovereign, reign just means ruler. So guys, here's what the sovereignty of God, here's what sovereign means. Here's what it means. It's very simple. It means supreme ruler. What the Bible's telling us when it says God is sovereign is that he is the supreme ruler of the universe. There is none like him. There is none beside him. There is nobody over him. He is the supreme unmatched ruler of the universe. Now, let me be really clear, and here's where we get ourselves in trouble. What that doesn't mean, what the sovereignty of God doesn't mean is that everything that happens is exactly what God wants. Okay, in fact, 
what the Bible teaches, he had supreme reign, but then he gave over some of his dominion to Adam and Eve. And the problem is that they lost that dominion to Satan. Now, if that doesn't make any sense, any sense, let me explain something to you. If you got your Bibles, I need you to turn to Jeremiah 32. Okay, Jeremiah 32. And when I read what I'm about to read, as I read it, you're gonna be thinking, why in the world is he reading this weird passage? Okay, just track with me. I'm gonna read you this passage. I'm gonna show you first the historical meaning of the passage. But second, I'm gonna show you what Bible scholars sometimes call the Christological meaning of the passage. So what did it mean in history then, but then how does it point forward to Jesus? So just track with me. All right, so Jeremiah 32, and then I'm gonna read starting in verse six. Here's what it says. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, by my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Now, I'll explain this in a second. What apparently happened is Jeremiah's father probably died. When Jeremiah's father died, what happened is his uncle came and purchased a piece of land from his family so that Jeremiah's family would have some money to live on. Now, bookmark that in your head and pick up with me in verse eight. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord, and he said to me, by my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, now listen close, for the right of inheritance and the right of redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And here's what happened. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin. And I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed it, sealed it, got witnesses and weighed the money on scales. Then I took, now listen close, then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and I took the open copy and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin. Now, listen, here's why I read that passage, okay? In this passage, what you have is you have two rights and then it talks about how you had two deeds, okay? There was a right of inheritance and a right of redemption. Now, here's what a right of inheritance was. Whenever uh, somebody in your family died, you could have a next of kin, somebody in your family could purchase that land away from your family, but here's how it worked in ancient Israel, is that land always, your family, the original owner of the family always retained uh, ownership of that land. So what that meant, the right of inheritance is whenever the person who purchased that land away from the original owner dies, by right of inheritance, the land would come back to the original owner. Now, second, second right is the right of redemption. The original family who originally owned that land, the right of redemption meant anytime that they wanted to exercise the financial option, anytime that they chose to exercise the option, somebody in that family could buy it back from the person who purchased it and it would come back to the original ownership family and that would be them exercising their right of redemption. All right, now those are the two rights. But this passage also talks about two deeds, okay, two deeds. Talks about a sealed deed and an open deed. Here's what the sealed deed was. It's very close, listen, bookmark this in your heads. With a sealed deed, it was the only document in that culture that was written on a double-sided scroll. The only document in that culture that was written on a double-sided scroll. And the original ownership family would retain the sealed deed so that they could prove original ownership of the land. And whenever they sold it to somebody else, that would be the open copy 
they would write on that open copy, the terms, conditions, the name of the person who was purchasing, in this case, Hanamel, and they would give the open copy to the people uh, that were purchasing the land away from them. So what happens in this, uh, in this story is Jeremiah, who was uh, someone from the original ownership family, he chooses to exercise his right of redemption to purchase the land back from Hanamel, who had bought it away from the family. Jeremiah would have been called a, this should ring a bell, a kinsman redeemer. He'd be called a kinsman redeemer. And he chose to exercise his right of redemption and buy that land back. Now, the historical meaning of that passage, you may be going, Josh, why in the heck are you talking about two rights and two deeds in ancient Israel? The historical meaning of that passage, what God says is he was telling them before they were taken away to captivity in Babylon, buy land now because the day's coming when I'm gonna bring you back and I am gonna redeem you out of slavery there and you will come back and you'll buy land here again. That's the historical meaning of the passage. But uh, Bible scholars for centuries have said that this passage has a, a, they call it a Christological meaning. It points to something that happened in the heavenly realm uh, with Jesus. Now, here's how it worked. Uh, God, the supreme owner of the universe, he has the right of inheritance. He owns the deed to the universe. God, when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the earth, the Bible says. Adam and Eve chose to sin and they lost that dominion to Satan. In fact, you may remember whenever Jesus uh, is with Satan for temptation in the wilderness, what the devil tells Jesus is, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never corrects him and says, that's not true? He just understands that dominion of the earth was lost to Satan. That's why the Bible calls Satan the God and ruler of the world. And then what happened at the cross is Jesus, who owned the right of redemption, the firstborn son of the original family, is he chose at the cross to exercise his right of redemption and purchase the ownership of the universe back, redeeming us out of dominion to the devil. And he did that when he went to the cross and paid by his own blood. Now that is really good news right there. In fact, this is really, really cool. If you ever read in Revelation chapter five, it talks about, it kind of peels back the curtain on what has been going on in the heavenly realm uh, for all of eternity. And there's a passage in Revelation 5 where John looks up at the throne and he says, behold, that he saw a scroll that was written. It was a double-sided scroll. And he says that it was a sealed scroll. And then he began weeping because he said that he, there was no one that was found that was worthy to open the scroll. And then the Bible says that a strong angel stepped forward and essentially said, hey, don't blink because you're about to see something amazing. And then a voice cries out and says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has come and he is worthy to, to break the seal and open the scroll. And then it specifically says that he is worthy to receive glory, honor, honor dominion, power, might, riches, because it says, because you have redeemed, you have redeemed us from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. What the Bible's showing us is that Jesus owned the original rights to everything, dominion of everything. He had the right of inheritance, but he chose to exercise the right of redemption to purchase you and me back. And now what he's done is he's given dominion back to us as Christ followers. That's why when he comes to Peter in the end of the gospels, he says, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. And whatever you 
loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. It's why the Bible says that we as Christians will reign with him because what he's doing is he's given dominion back to us and he's saying, man, whatever, what he's saying, listen, what some people do is they say, man, if God is sovereign, why pray? Well, listen, guys, watch this. God is sovereign and he has given dominion to us and he's saying, listen, if you'll just pray, If you'll just pray, then me as the supreme ruler of the universe, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive your sins, and I will heal your land. Sovereignty is not a reason not to pray, guys. We pray because God is sovereign, because we know that he is waiting to simply hear his children pray, and he wants to respond. Man, I, um, while I was in preparation for this message, I came across a a story of one of my favorite missionaries, a guy named George Mueller. Um, George Mueller lived a, a really sinful life until he was about the age of, uh, of 30. Uh, and George Mueller's life, he was really known as a man of incredible prayer. His entire life, he kept a, a little prayer journal where nobody knew he did this. They didn't find this until after he died. He kept a little prayer journal where he wrote down everything that he asked God for in prayer. And when he died, they found that journal and there were over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer in that journal. Uh, George Mueller's life story, it's really interesting. Um, When he was 30, he was uh, training to be a pastor, even though he was like living in sin and actually didn't know the Lord yet. He was training to be a pastor because where he lived, that was like a government job, which meant it was a steady paycheck. And uh, and so uh, he went to the equivalent of a life group meeting and met Christ, gave his life to Christ. And all of a sudden he felt called to become a missionary. So he went to his dad and he just said, hey, dad, you know, I'd really like to apply to missionary school. His dad was really wealthy. And his dad said, well, no way. No, you can't go to missionary school. There's no money in it. And so George Mueller is a brand new Christian. What he decided he'd do is he'd pray. And so he prayed for two months. And uh, after two months, God told him to go now. Now's your time. Go apply for missionary school. So he walked up uh, to the place where he, uh, you know, registered for missionary school without a dime in his pocket. And uh, as he was walking up, he registered to the registration line. At, while he was in line, a man walked up to him and said, hey, God told me to give you this and handed him some money, shoved it in his pocket. He got to the front of the line, registered for missionary school, and then uh, asked how much it was you know, for the registration fee. They told him, pulled out the money in his pocket, counted it. It was the exact amount of money he needed for missionary school. So he gets into missionary school and he finishes and he uh, comes before the board for authentication. And, uh, and they tell him that they, they actually denied his request to become a missionary because he had lived too sinful a life before he was 30 years old. They would never have let the apostle Paul become a missionary. And, uh, and so they say, you know, you can't do it. And so George Mueller decided to pray. And so uh, God told him to pray and he prayed for two years. He prayed for two years and then God told him to go to the country that God had put on his heart, told him to go to a specific city and he walked up to a specific church in that specific city, the only church in the town. And he just said, hey, can I talk to the pastor? And they said, well, the pastor just resigned. And he said, well, I just graduated from missionary school and they said, you're hired, you know? <laughs> and so he, you know, he became the pastor of that church. And then as he began preaching and pastoring in that church, God started putting on his heart the desire to build an orphanage, but he didn't tell anybody. He just began to pray. He just began to pray. And he didn't tell anybody about his calling to start an orphanage until there was a man in his church who approached him after a service and just said, hey, 
I wanna donate the money for you to start an orphanage with our church. Over the course of the next 60 years of his ministry, George Mueller's church started more orphanages than any ministry has ever started since then, since the 1800s. And he ended up caring for some 20,000 orphans in the place where he was. His entire life, George Mueller, over and over and over again, every time he started an orphanage, it was a specific answer to prayer. George Mueller, when he was, uh, he was 93 years old, so 63 years and eight months after he became a Christian when he was 30, he was on his deathbed. And one of his friends heard him praying and he called out a name. And his friend asked him, hey, you know, what's that name that you just called out? And George Mueller shared that when he turned 30 and became a Christian, he had five friends who did not know the Lord. And he shared that he had prayed every day for those five names. And over the course of the next 63 years and eight months, four of them had given their lives to Christ. But there was one man that he hadn't seen since he was 30 that had wandered away from God, just said, hey, I don't have anything to do with you. And uh, so George Mueller died, having prayed for that last friend the day he died. At George Mueller's funeral, the friend that heard him call out that other friend's name was in attendance. And he saw the man that George Mueller was praying for that he'd known 63 years earlier at the funeral. And he told him, George Mueller was praying for you the day that he died. And that man, after George Mueller's funeral, knelt at his grave and gave his life to Christ. Because our God is sovereign and he hears the prayers of his people. If my people who are called by my name will pray. We pray to the supreme ruler of the universe, okay? Now, number two, here's the second attribute of God a lot of people get themselves in trouble with. It's the immutability of God, okay? The immutability, write that down and make sure you spell it right, okay? The immutability of God. Now, here's what I know. I know most people did not use the word immutable in a sentence this week. So let me break this down for you. Here's what the word immutability means, Okay, just again, think about the word. You're gonna see it on screen. It's just two words into one. Mutate means can change or change. You put an M in front of it, it means can't. So the immutability of God means that God cannot change. Okay, now we all know this. God cannot change. A couple Bible passages to show you what this means. God cannot change. Number one comes from Micah or Malachi. Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Uh, James 3, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Now, here's the trouble some people get themselves into. They think, well, God never changes his mind, so why pray? Okay, well, listen, that's not what immutability means. What immutability means from a human perspective, what immutability means is that God never changes his character but God does, from a human perspective, change his mind. Immutability means that God never changes his character, but he does change his mind. If you don't believe me, I'll give you an example. Uh, Exodus 32, Uh, it's the issue of the golden calf and all Israel is worshiping a different false god. Moses goes up on the top of the mountain and God tells Moses, listen to what God tells Moses. He says, I'm gonna destroy all of them and start over with you. God said, he said, this is what I'm gonna do. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm gonna destroy all of them and start over with you. But then Moses prayed. Moses prayed and Exodus 32, 14 says this. It says, then the Lord relented. Another way 
to translate the Hebrew word there that gets translated relented is the Lord repented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, here's what we mean whenever we use the word repent. Some of you hear that and you go, well, God can't repent. God never sins. That's not what repentance means. The word repentance literally means to change your mind. Remember, immutability, it means that God's character never changes. But from a human perspective, what we see in the Bible is that God absolutely sometimes does change his mind. In fact, what you're gonna see in the Bible is that often God changes his mind because he never changes his character. Okay, now let me show you this. This is really interesting. In Jonah, let me give another example. In Jonah, Jonah's called to go to the city of Nineveh. 120,000 people who don't know the Lord and are walking in wicked ways. And he goes and God tells Jonah the prophet exactly what to say. He gives him the exact words. Here's Jonah's message from God. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's what was on God's mind. Nineveh will be destroyed. And then guess what happened? The Ninevites, they did three things. They humbled themselves and they prayed and they turned from their wicked ways. And then this is the next thing that we hear. In Jonah 3.10, it says this. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented or repented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, here's what's so interesting about this story. So God changes his mind. As soon as somebody prays, God changes his mind. Here's what's interesting about this story. In Jonah 4, the very next chapter, Jonah says he gets really mad. Jonah did not want the people to turn because he didn't like those people. Jonah says he gets really mad at God for changing his mind and not destroying the Ninevites. And it actually tells us in Jonah 4 why Jonah got mad and ran in the first place. And this is what he says. Jonah prays to the Lord and says, uh, Jonah 4, 2, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, watch this, for I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, I knew you would do this. In other words, here's what he said. Jonah said, I knew you would do this because you're slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness and you always relent from disaster. Every time somebody prays, I knew you would do this. Now, did you pick this up what it says? Jonah says, I knew you'd change your mind because you never change your character. I knew you were gonna do this. You are so gracious and merciful and you're a, you're a dad that loves to say yes. And I knew as soon as somebody prayed, I knew you'd change your mind. God changed his mind because his character never changes. That, that doesn't make any sense. Let me give you, a, I'm gonna give you two real quick, two human examples from my personal life. So uh, Jan and I, my wife Jan and I, we met on a, on a blind date. And uh, here's the story of how that happened. The guy that, my youth pastor, the guy that discipled me when I was in high school, his wife discipled Jana when she was in college. And so Jana got to the end of college and she was, you know, pretty little single redhead girl at the end of college. And they, they just were like, hey, why, you know, why, why in the world? What happens to every single person? Why are you still single, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and what they did is they decided they were gonna find her a husband. And so they opened up the church directory and they just started flipping through and like, hey, what about him? You know, what about him? You know, what about him? That kind of thing. And eventually, obviously, they got to a picture of me and she said, you know, that kind of thing. That's actually not what happened. There was no picture of me. But, but they told her a, a, about me and she said, okay, well, you can reach out to him. So Jeff, the guy that discipled me, he sends me an email one day when I'm in college and he just says, hey, man, there's a great girl here 
and I really think you guys should go on a date. And now, two things you need to know about me. One, uh, here was my character. I was, I, I had recently been saved right before I went to college. And so there was a few things that in my character I really loved. I'm in college, I'm single. I really loved pretty girls, <laughs> especially ones that had a heart for God. And when I was in high school and college, I, I had a thing for redheads. You know, it's like, I, I've always liked to live dangerously. You know, I don't know what it is, kind of thing. And, uh, and so uh, at first, so, so that was my character. You need, need to know that about me. The second thing you need to know about me is I was very arrogant <laughs> because my response to Jeff was, hey man, no thanks, Josh Howerton's not desperate. You know, that's kind of, that, that was my initial response. So that's what I had decided. But then Jeff Carlisle sent me a picture of Jana. He sent me a picture and all of a sudden I said, I'll be there next week. Now you see that? Now do you watch this? What happened was I changed my mind because my character stayed the same. Do you see that? My character was the same, so I changed my mind. I'll give you another example that may bring this a little closer to home. So earlier this week, I'm in, this happened. The day that I was preparing this message, I was praying for God to give me a good illustration, and this happened that morning. Is I'm walking out uh, the door to go to work. I'm an essential employee, and, uh, and uh, I'm there, and my family is all there, and they're eating breakfast. Jana, our little joke about Jana is that she has the soul of an elderly British woman, and that has very much rubbed off on our, our girls. So I'm walking out, and the girls know I'm getting ready to go to Starbucks, and uh, Felicity, my uh, youngest daughter, says, Dad, bring me a scone. So bring me a scone. You see, the elderly British thing is rubbing off. Bring me a scone. And, uh, and so I just initially, you know, hey, I'm on my way to work. I'm thinking I got things to do. And I said, hey, not today. I walked out the door and all of a sudden I get in my car and I'm just thinking of that cute little face. And I just, you know, I'm thinking about Felicity, how happy they'd be for me to walk in the door with a blueberry scone, you know? And so while I'm on my drive, I changed my mind. And I went over to Starbucks and I got my drink. I got the scone, turned back around, drove to the house. I thought, man, I'm just gonna surprise the heck out of them. And they're just gonna be so excited. I walk in the door, no kidding. They already have plates out and they are waiting for their scone. And they, they're waiting for, even though I said no on the way out the door, they're sitting there waiting for the scone. I walk in the door with the scone. Felicity says, told you. <laughs> As she says, told you. And I said, what do you mean told you? How did you know this was gonna happen? And this is what she said. She said, because you like to say yes. She said, because daddy likes to say yes. And see, do you, you see this? Is that my daughter knew I would change my mind because my character wouldn't change. Dad likes to say yes. Hey, did you know this? Did you know that your heavenly father, he likes to say yes? He really, 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 he likes to say yes. And there are things, I just wanna say this in a very straightforward way to you. There are things in your life, there are things in your family. Guys, there are things in our nation that God wants to do, he is able to do, he is willing to do, and he hasn't done them because we have not yet prayed. He's waiting for his, if my people will pray, if my people will pray, now, let me give one last story to bring this to a close so you understand how, how this works. God has the ability to change things in your life and your family's life if you'll just begin to pray. 
And some of you right now, what you're doing is you're working really, really hard. And I'm not saying you don't need to work. We need to do prayer and action. But we don't wanna just do action and no prayer. And sometimes you're working really hard, but you're not praying at all. And God's waiting for you to pray. So here's my story and then I'm done. Uh, It was now two years ago uh, when Jan and I, we have two adopted daughters and uh, I was very convinced that we were done. And Jana approached me about two, maybe three years ago. And Jana just said, Josh, I've got a, a thing in my heart where I just, I really want a son. You know, I really want a son. And I believe that God might be calling us to have a son. And I just immediately said, well, uh, no way. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, because honestly, I, I'm just, I'm a normal dude, right? I'm just like, for me, you know, right or wrong, I'm just gonna be super honest with you. You know, at that time, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm kind of thinking, man, when are we gonna have a little more time, a little more money? We can travel as a couple. Do I wanna hit the reset button on the, the time clock for emptiness kind of thing? And so I just shut it down immediately. Well, Jan and I, we could not get to the same spot. And Jana was very, very passionate about this desire. And I was very, very passionate about traveling around Europe in a few years, you know, that kind of thing. And so we just kept like, it was not our, it was, it was a, a, one of the two biggest issues in our entire marriage. Jana eventually made the decision that she was never, and she told me that she would never bring it up with me again. And that she would just devote those energies to prayer. And if uh, God wanted to change my mind, then he had the power to do that. The week uh, Jana started doing that, a few things happened. <laughs> uh, first, I, you know, I'm in my time in the Word, and I open up, and I'm in you know, Psalm 127, and that's my Bible reading that day, and it talks about how, you know, behold, children are a heritage, you know, a blessing from the Lord, and you know, whoever fills his quiver with them, you know, well, yeah, that kind of thing. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, nah, you know, I'm <laughs> kind of angry, you know. I'm like, ah, that's just, that's just what happened to be in my Bible reading today. And so, you know, I just kind of go on. Okay, so, so that's number one. Number two, my dad turned 60 years old around that same week, and we go to dad's house. All of our family sitting around, and one of my cousins asks the table the question, if you could relive any year of your life, what year would you relive and why? And there's, uh, uh, there are three couples around the table who are in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. Every single person from those couples chose a year from their life when their children were small. And I was taken aback because I was expecting them to talk about the glory of the empty nest, you know, all the freedom years, that kind of thing, either before or after kids. And so I just said, hey, this kind of, you know, struck me that all of you chose years when the kids were little. And they just went on to explain, oh man, we couldn't see it then, but those were some of the most blessed years of our entire life. And, you know, something just lodged in my spirit, but I was like, eh, you know, I just kind of kept going on. Well, then uh, that same week uh, of my dad's 60th birthday, I went to my gym to work out one morning. And a woman from my church walked up while I was in the gym and she looked frazzled and she, said, she just said, Josh, uh, you know, hey, I know this sounds really weird and I'm not this kind of person, but I had a dream last night uh, about you. And I told God that if I saw you today, that I would tell you about it, even though I didn't want to. And she went on to describe, she said, in this dream, I saw you and you had three children and not two. And the third one was a son. And in the dream, the son was highlighted to me. And then she said, do you have any idea why 
that little boy would be highlighted to me in the dream. And I said, I have no idea. I don't know why I don't realize it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But immediately I knew that the sovereign ruler of the universe was doing something. And, and do you know what God did? He heard the prayer of, uh, of a sweet woman who chose to get on her knees and cry out to the Lord. And God wants to do that for you. He's waiting for that. If my people who are called by my name will pray. So let's pray. Let's give ourselves to the Lord and ask him to stretch out his hand and heal our land. Will you pray with me, please? In living rooms all over the country. Father, we love you so much and we know that you're a dad that likes to say yes. Thank you so much that you are willing, eager, and able to respond to the prayers of your children. We ask you, God, to do a work in us. Would you please start with us? Individually, would you start with us? If we have never given our lives to you, then God, we turn over control of our lives to you, maybe today for the first time. We trust you. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus who died for our sins on the cross. Father, we ask you to do a work in our lives, in our families' lives, in our marriages, in our church. Would you pour out your spirit and stretch out your hand to do mighty things, to lift up your name and bring glory to yourself and lift up Jesus for our healing and our good. And Father, we do, we pray for our nation. We pray that you would stretch out your hand to protect, heal, and save. We know that you are a God who is not, whose arm is not too short to save, but you are eager, able, and willing. So we ask that you would. We pray those things in the crucified and risen name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Slash